Well, it's so good to see everyone today. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we'll not be in the book of Psalms in our message time this morning. We had a last minute little uh, switch around and I want to share with you uh, something that I believe the Lord taught me and showed me in my devotion time uh, this morning and we'll focus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As I was uh, reading this morning, I think Psalm 102 was uh, our focus assignment this morning, a, uh, a psalm of lament that goes right along with uh, what we have both uh, sung and, and heard in our testimonies this month. Uh, but one of the things that I was thinking about, it's just the ways that, that I love the Lord. Uh, I love the Lord. I express my love for the Lord by, by worshiping, by serving, by reading my Bible, by praying, by seeking to live uh, a holy life, to be obedient to the Lord. And I was thinking of those things, but I also was thinking of the ways that I'm not faithful to the Lord, the ways that I fail to be obedient, the ways that I uh, come short in honoring the Lord with, uh, with every breath that I have. And, and I was, as I was thinking of those things and, and really asking the question that I ask often, why is, why is it that both of those things can be true of me? Why is it, how is it that I can have a love and a passion for God, but there be some areas in life when I, where, where I fail to worship God, where I, I fail to be obedient to God. And uh, and a phrase came to my mind uh, that uh, I don't think I've ever thought this phrase before. I don't think I read it in a book. Maybe I did at some point many years ago. But a phrase came to mind that really I think the Lord used to give me clarity about um, how this can be true in my life and perhaps the path forward. And so the phrase is this fungible spirituality. You ever heard that before? Do you know what that means? Uh, well, I just made it up, so you can't know what it means. But, but let me tell you, fungible spirituality. When that phrase popped in my mind, I thought, well, that's exactly what my problem is. Fungible spirituality. I have embraced a fungible spirituality, and, 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 and that's really the root of, of so many of the difficulties in my spiritual life. So let me tell you what I mean by that phrase. Fungible, you know what that means, that you like mushrooms. Not, not really, just checking with you. Uh, fungible just means that something is interchangeable, right? That you can change one thing for another. I have a, a savings account and I have a checking account. And if I run low in funds for my checking account, I can move money from my savings account to my checking account, or I can move money from my checking account to my savings account. The money in those accounts well, that money is fungible. It can go from one to the other. It's a pretty easy thing. It happens pretty quickly. If one's low, the other one can take care of it or vice versa. If there's enough money in the two of them together, that is, those accounts are fungible. Now, my accounts and your accounts are not fungible, right? I can't spend your money. You can't spend my money, but my accounts are fungible. I can move money back and forth. Fungible just means interchangeable. Spirituality, that is the intersection between what we believe and how we behave. 
Spirituality is just how I live out the spiritual life. So what do, what do I mean when I talk about fungible spirituality? I mean a spirituality that believes that obedience in one area of life makes up for disobedience in another area of life. I'm afraid that too often in my life I excuse disobedience over here. I excuse some shortcoming over here because I perceive that there might be some extra over here and I can just move my credit from this account to cover my guilt in that account and I just operate as if my spirituality were fungible. That I can just interchange the good with the bad. The good covers up the bad and I'm okay. I excuse the bad by pointing toward the good, functional, fungible, I should say, spirituality. It believes that one's life can be compartmentalized. Have you heard that word before? Compartmentalized such that parts of our lives honor God and parts of our lives don't honor God. And we're okay with that. In this part of my life, I follow the Lord. In this part of my life, I honor the Lord. In this other part of my life, maybe not so much. And we think that we can compartmentalize our lives and and some parts can honor God and some parts cannot. That's fungible spirituality. I thought of another phrase that, uh, that describes it, hypocrisy with a good conscience. You know, when we recognize hypocrisy in our lives, but we feel okay about it because there are some good things in our lives, that's fungible spirituality. Now, you might say, well, where do we see this? Uh, where do you see it? pastor? And and where do we see it in our lives and our culture? And I'll give you just a couple of examples. I I think the first one is compartmentalization. We've become very good at that in our world. We have different compartments of life and, 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 and we have Jesus in some of those compartments and we don't have Jesus in some other compartments in our lives. And and, and I think perhaps that's one of the clearest ways to see it in all of our lives. But I think another place that it shows up is just in the moral compromise of so many spiritual leaders. Have you read the news? Has your heart been broken? As you've heard of people that you loved or respected, people that uh, maybe were ministers of the gospel and, and they perhaps led successful ministries and then there's some moral failure in their life. And sometimes when you hear of the moral failure, you discover that the moral failure had been going on for a very long time. And so we we all have, I think, the same reaction to that. We scratch our heads and we say, how in the world could a man stand up in the pulpit and preach on one day and then be unfaithful to his wife on the next day? How could someone have these sinful things in their lives and still stand and sing and praise and honor the Lord? How in the world could both of those things be true in someone's life? Well, I think it's this fungible spirituality, this compartmentalization where we think that parts of our lives can honor God while parts of our lives don't honor God. And we have figured out a way in our minds to reason this out and be okay with this fungible spirituality. But I want you to see what the Bible says about this. And I, I, wanna, I want us to see it uh, to begin with in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. Find it here. Let's just jump into the scripture passage. It will seem to be a passage about something else, and it is about something else. But I think it speaks to this subject. Verse 1 says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So Macedonia, that uh, would be between today, Turkey, and Italy. It's the land that we would call Greece. This is where Berea was. We read of the church of Berea in the book of Acts. It would be where Philippi was, Thessalonica. So it's that section uh, of the world in their days, a place that was just impoverished, terrible poverty. Uh, Because of persecution, uh, that's the source of much of the poverty that the Christians were facing, but, but also because of their proximity to Rome, it just was the place where the Romans would come and take so much away from the people. And so these people faced uh, great poverty, uh, but because of the grace of God, that means that God had done something amazing in them. And you are going to be amazed at this in the next few verses. Let's see what God had done. Verse two says, during a severe trial, Brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So this is the most unlikely verse. I want you to notice all the ingredients that go into the soup of verse 2. It it says that uh, they had a severe trial, they had affliction, they did have abundant joy, And then they had extreme poverty, but all of that mixed together in the soup. And what comes out, it says at the end of verse 2, a wealth of generosity. And so it turns out that these were some of the most generous, and we're talking about generous in a financial sense. These were some of the most generous Christians in the first century. There was such poverty in Jerusalem, I don't know that it was greater than the poverty there in Macedonia, but there was such poverty in Jerusalem among the Christians that these Christians that themselves were in great poverty in Macedonia, they collect money, a great deal of money, and they send it to Jerusalem to take care of the impoverished Christians there. And so there was great difficulty, there was this extreme poverty, and their joy, and you mix it all together, and it ends up in this amazing generosity. Look at verse 3. He says, I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. It says they gave what they could give And then they gave more than they could give. They begged for the opportunity to to give to the ministry of the saints, which, uh, speaking of the poverty of the Christians there, there in Jerusalem. What I want you to see in these faithful Christians is that they didn't lean on some excuse to justify their uh, lack of generosity. Uh, They didn't say, well, we're just going through a season of life right now, pastor. I've heard this 
Pastor, we're just going through a season of life right now where we can't be generous. We're going through a season of life right now where we can't be obedient. We're going through a a season of life right now where we just can't serve uh, the Lord through the church. It's just, it's just the season of life. And, and we're going through some really tough times, Paul, so we can't give. No, they didn't see some difficulty in one area of life as a way to justify their disobedience in another area of life. They did not have a fungible spirituality. Yes, They were going through great difficulty, but that didn't change their obedience and their love and their generosity. Yes, they had a difficult season, but they didn't allow that to lower their commitment to the Lord or their love for the Lord or their love for the Lord. They were eager to serve. Now, skip down to verse 7. It says, now as you excel in everything. In faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth uh, about the faithful record of the Macedonians. And what he says to the church of Corinth is that there are a lot of different areas of your spiritual life. There There are many different parts to your spirituality, and he lists some of them there. In your faith, that you trust the Lord, you pray. In your speech, you speak of the Lord, you share testimonies. In your knowledge, you are reading your Bible, you are going to church, you're a part of these Bible studies. And in your diligence, and in your love for people, he says you're doing well in all of those things, but don't leave out this one thing. And the one thing for the church at Corinth that they were in danger of leaving out that's why Paul writes this, is that they weren't being faithful in their, in their giving. Here's what I want you to see. Paul didn't say, because you are faithful in your faith, your prayer, your speech, your knowledge, then we'll give you a pass on the giving. No, he says, just as you excel in one area of your spirituality, just as you excel in one area of your spiritual life, so you should excel in all areas of your spiritual life. What Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth is that there is no fungible spirituality. It's not that if you do well in one, you can... Uh, you can take it easy in another. It's not that if you're obedient here, you don't have to be obedient there. No, he says to excel in all of these things. How did Jesus say it? Matthew 22, 37 and 38. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. He says, with everything, not just with parts, not just in some compartmental sense where you give your Sundays to the Lord, but you give your Mondays to something else, where where you give your quiet times and your devotions to the Lord, but you give your marriage to something else, where, where you give your time to the Lord, but you give your money to something else. No, what he says is with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything, love the Lord. And you know, this isn't the only place we read here in 2 Corinthians 8. This isn't the only place where it says this in the Bible. And I can give you a whole list of verses. I'll share just a few. I thought this morning of James 2.10. 
Whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. What is, uh, what is James teaching us? Partial obedience is what? Disobedience. Listen to Paul's attitude in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The apostle Paul didn't say, listen, I've... Uh, I've been beaten a bunch of times for the Lord. I've been shipwrecked for the Lord. I have traveled for the Lord. So listen, I just take it easy on myself. I mean, I've done enough. I've done more than any of you guys, Paul could have said. And so in this area, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little break. No, because Paul didn't have this fungible spirituality. He says, no, even though all of those things are true, he says, I discipline myself. I look for the smallest error. I look for, the, for, for any little part of my life that is undisciplined for the Lord, and I work on that area. No fungible spirituality. And then I love... Psalm 139, what David said right at the end of that psalm. Look at this on the screen. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. He's, he's praying to the Lord. See if there is any offense in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He was coming before the Lord and he said, Lord, I don't want to leave any offense untouched. I, I, I don't want to skate in any part of my life, Lord, if there's any offense, then I want to make that right with you. There is no biblical, fungible spirituality. So let me see if I can just take what we've learned here, 2 Corinthians 8 and these other verses, and just organize that, summarize that, and, and restate it so that we'll go home uh, with a full embrace of these truths. So I'm going to give you three principles. Number one, you cannot love the Lord with only compartments of your life. Think about that. You cannot love the Lord just with compartments of your life. We have become very adept in our day at compartmentalizing our lives. We have our work compartment and our family compartment and our friends and our this and our that. We have all these compartments and, and we keep them separate. So many people are so good at just keeping these different parts of their lives separate. But, but here's where the, the, the terrible sin occurs we think too often that we can love God with some of those compartments and then not love or honor God with other compartments. Compartmentalization, listen church, is absolutely not biblical. Biblically, there is no difference in what you believe, one compartment, and what you do, another compartment. I think it was Pascal who said, you do what you believe. What he meant was, whatever you believe, you really do that. If you don't do it, then you didn't believe it to start with. How much you love the Lord in one compartment, you love the Lord the same in the other compartment, and we deceive ourselves when we think that's not true. Biblically, it's just impossible to truthfully say, I love Jesus 
but I'm not going to wait until marriage to have sex. I love Jesus, but I will watch what I want to watch. I love Jesus, but I will not forgive people who hurt me. I love Jesus, but I will not give sacrificially of the money that the Lord gives to me. I love Jesus, but I will not serve the church. So you can't create those compartments in your life. It's, it's just not reality. Listen to what James says in chapter 3. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. I'll pause there. It's interesting, this compartmentalization, this isn't really a new thing. This goes all the way back, and you'll see it here. So James 3, 9. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. So we say, praise the Lord, and then an hour later, we're talking trash about somebody. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. What he's saying is, is that there are no compartments in your life when it comes to the Lord. You can't love God in one and not in the other. That, that is a, a fallacy that you've that you've chosen to believe. Now, I'm not just trying to create some artificial guilt this morning, uh, but I want us to see the truth. I want to see the truth. And so I'm telling you that your prayer journal and your internet history do not present two different yous. Your Netflix history and your Bible study practice do not represent two sides of who you really are. Your language on Monday and your language of worship on Sunday do not represent different compartments to your life. It's just not biblical. Our spirituality is not fungible. It's all the same. And let's don't deceive ourselves about our spiritual health because we have compartmentalized away disobedience in our lives. So you cannot love the Lord with only compartments of your life. That's summary statement number one. Number two, you cannot trade obedience in one area of life for disobedience in another area of life. Now, I'm saying the same thing again, but I want you to see it from a little different perspective. We've all made this joke. You hear about a man who buys a dozen roses for his wife just on some completely random day. Now, what do you think? I wonder what he's making up for. <laughs> I mean, we all think it. He must have really messed up to have to buy a dozen roses in the middle of January for your wife. You must have really messed up in December to do that in, in January. Now... That may be how marriage works, and I'm not sure that is how marriage works, but that is never how things work with the Lord. As we've already said, partial obedience is disobedience. And just because we're obedient in one area, just because maybe we go above and beyond by our own measurement in some part of life does not 
uh, eliminate the requirement to be obedient in another area of life. I was having breakfast with a local pastor here in Nacogdoches two, three weeks ago, a pastor I really have a lot of respect for, and he was telling me that he had apologized to his church the previous Sunday uh, for uh, using a phrase, well, really not for using the phrase, but for uh, perhaps not being careful to explain what he meant. And the phrase is one I've used a bunch of times, and so I was very interested in what he had to say, but he said he had encouraged his church to give to the Lord their time, their talent, you've heard this before, right? And their treasure. You ever heard that? I think I've said that. You've probably heard that. Preachers like to say that. You need to give your time, your talent, your treasure, your time, your talent to the treasure and your treasure to the Lord, to the church, through the church, to the Lord. You should give your time, your talent, your treasure. But he said that as he thought about how he had presented that through the years, that he was afraid that people thought it was a multiple choice uh, instruction that you could give your time or you could give your talent or you could give your treasure. And he said in his church, and the same would be true in this church, there are some people who give their time and they excuse themselves for not giving their treasure because they give their time. I give a lot of time. I serve. I'm even in the nursery. I even sing in the choir. I mean, I'm a real sacrificer for the Lord. I give my time. I've gone to a youth lock-in, so I don't have to give my treasure, right? And then there are people the other way around, right? There are people that write big checks, but they don't serve. They write big checks, but they won't volunteer for the children's ministry. They write big checks, but they're not going to be here vacation Bible school week. They, they write big checks, but they're not going to serve. And we think this time, talent, and treasure is some multiple choice instruction. And he said he apologized to his church. Uh, by saying, if I have in some way communicated to you that you get to pick, that honoring and loving the Lord means you pick. He says, forgive me because that's, that's not what he, what he meant and what the Bible teaches. And, you know, I so concur with that. Time, talent, and treasure are not fungible. The Bible commands me to give my time. The Bible tells me to bring my talents, what, what the Lord has gifted me to do. And, and the Lord's commanded me to give my treasure. And I'm, I'm to do all of those things. I'm to surrender all of those things to the Lord. It, to, to surrender my life and to trust the Lord means I give my time and my talent and my treasure. I give the best of my time, the best of my talent, the best of my, of my treasure. Uh, we can't use obedience in one area of life to cover up disobedience in another area of life. Let me give you a summary statement number, uh, what am I on? Number three, the measuring stick for every area of life is none other than Christ. It's so uh, fungible spirituality, let, let me tell you, fungible spirituality has a cousin called relative spirituality. Now here's what relative spirituality is. That is when you compare the way you live your spiritual life, your spirituality, you compare it to somebody else's spirituality and you use that, that comparison to let you off uh, the hook. Uh, 
I may not be the most spiritual guy in the world, but at least I'm better than Hunter over there. You know, I love the Lord better than, than a lot of people around me. And so I'm okay. That's relative spirituality. And that's just as sinful as, it's just as unbiblical as, as this fungible spirituality. Uh, there are two things to know about comparing yourself to other people. First, we aren't very good at it. <laughs> because when you judge yourself, you've heard this before, right? You judge yourself based on your intentions. Well, I intend to do well, but you judge other people based on their actions. And so generally, when you make a comparison between yourself and somebody else, you don't make that comparison very accurately. But the more important thing is that the only comparison stick the Bible gives us is the Lord. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's who we should be comparing ourselves against. Don't excuse your lack of devotion and commitment and obedience by looking at what you perceive to be the lack of somebody else's devotion, commitment, and obedience. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I mean, Paul says, you imitate me. The only thing you should imitate me on is my imitation of Christ. Because we are to live our lives imitating Christ. Christ is the measuring stick. Christ is the measuring stick. Let me give you just a list of bad trades uh, that sometimes people make in their spiritual lives. You see if any of these hit close to home. I don't give, but I serve. Or, I don't serve, but I give. I do watch sinful things on television and the internet, but I also read my Bible and I pray. I'm not faithful in my walk with the Lord, but I am baptized. I say some pretty unkind and uncouth things, but I still sing praises to the Lord on Sunday. I don't regularly read my Bible or pray, but I am faithful to church. I don't give to the Lord regularly and sacrificially, but I'm generous to people at times. I have sexual sin in my life, but I do read my Bible and pray and I go to church. You see, if any of those things hit close to home, then what we have done is we have seen our spirituality as fungible, that I'm going to make up for the deficit in my checking account by the surplus in my savings account. And what we have done is completely misunderstood what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Do you know who the scribes and Pharisees were? They were religious leaders. They were the people. They were in church every week. And I'm all for that, by the way. But they were in church every week. They read their Bibles. They, uh, they followed all the rules. They were really good rule followers, the scribes and the Pharisees. But he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, he called them. Now, why would he call these? They were the best rule keepers there were. Why does he call them hypocrites? He says, you pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. That means that when they 
gave a tenth. They were even careful to give a tenth of the spices that they grew in their garden. You give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things you should have these things should have been done without neglecting the others. Jesus said you can't you can't take obedience in one area to use it and use it to excuse disobedience in another area. And so this morning that was the phrase fungible spirituality. And your pastor's guilty of that. There are times when I compartmentalize my life so that I can love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength in some compartments and just love myself in some others. But biblically, there can be no compartments in our lives. We are who we are. And Jesus, when he looked at those spiritual leaders amongst the Jews. He said, you're hypocrites because you have these compartments in your lives. Now, I don't mean for this just to be a, well, I know you're thinking, why didn't we go to the lake today? Because <laughs> um, I was pretty, I beat myself up this morning pretty badly, uh, just uh, even before I knew I would be preaching today. Um, but here's, here's what I'm reminded of in Scripture. Jesus is the standard for how I love God. And Jesus is God. I'm not questioning that. But when I love God, what is my standard? How do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I imitate Christ. Jesus is the lens and the measuring stick for how I love God. I fall short. And you do too. But here's some good news. Jesus is also the lens through which God loves me. And God sees me as perfectly righteous. Not because I'm following all the rules but because Christ lived a righteous life for me. And he died on the cross for me so that I can receive the benefits of his righteousness. I can be forgiven by his sacrifice and death on the cross. So I want you to be challenged and encouraged. When I recognize that Christ is the example and the lens through which I love God, I fall so short. And I must confess as the psalmist confessed in Psalm 139, Lord, show me if there's any offensive way in me. But I'm encouraged because I've put my faith and trust in Christ. If you're a Christian, that's what that means. You've put your faith and trust in Christ and what he has done for you. I know. I leave here encouraged. I stand before you today encouraged because I know that the Father loves me through that same lens. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, forgive us 
when we have compartmentalized our lives, when we have deceived ourselves by using obedience in one area to cover up disobedience in the other. Father, I pray you just take the blinders off. I, I, I pray you help us all to see the darkness and the sin in our lives and that we will confess that, come before you and ask that you, that you change us. Father, let this be a day of change for all of us. But Father, we approach you with the confidence that you love us through the lens of what Christ has done. I love you through the lens of, what, of how Christ has lived, but you love me through the lens of what Christ has done. And I'm thankful that I'm a child of God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.